All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the podcast, Let Beauty Guide You with your host, Chelsea Keen. Today, I'm really excited to have Will Darude back on the podcast. It's Darude, right? Not Darude. Did I get that correct? Yeah, you're, you, you've got it. It's Will Darude is my okay. normal full name. Perfect. Yeah. And, and Will Darude has been on the podcast before and he is back and I'm so excited to chat with him. We had such a great chat last time. And today we're going to focus on trauma-informed approaches to mental health and healing. Um, obviously, that's a big topic right now. So I'm really excited to dive in with Will. And just a little refresher on who Will is. Will is a life coach for heart-centered leaders. He studied psychology at Carleton University and earned a bachelor's degree there, focusing on the intersection of mindfulness and mental health. He is the creator of the 90-Day Quantum Heart Immersion and the Holistic Health Blueprint, which both help individuals optimize their well-being. Will has has also taught mindfulness as a corporate meditation teacher at Canada Post's head office wellness program. He has co-created the Holistic Synergy Group Wellness Program, Thrive School, and the Kelowna Eastern Yoga Program, and has led a wide variety of personal development and mindfulness workshops, both in person and online. And so, first of all, welcome, Will. Thank you. It's, I swear it's always such a nice little reminder to hear all the things, like lots of the things that I've done, like back to back. I don't think about it every day. So, um, thank you for that intro. I appreciate that, Chelsea. Yeah. I I feel like that's like a daily practice we should all have is just like write down everything that we have contributed and done and just like remind ourselves, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Cause I'm so focused on what I'm doing right now. Um, and maybe I should mention that like, and this ties right into what we're going to talk about. Like absolutely focusing on really helping people with what I call a six week nervous system reset, which is like, is almost as short as you can make it an experience to basically understand what's causing trauma in your nervous system and have the tools and resources to help yourself re-regulate. And there's a lot of reasons for why I started to work on that and to help people through that, which we'll probably talk about because I didn't, um, I saw that a lot of people knew what to do, but couldn't do it. Literally, like we would, we would talk on the phone and the next week they'd be like, yeah, so I agreed that I would do this thing in the morning, but I just didn't do it. I couldn't do it. There was like some energy that was frozen. The nervous system was unable to move forward. So I really wanted to address that. And that kind of sped up my interest in becoming more trauma informed, which was already there. But that really led into an understanding of like, wait, why are people unable to do things that they want to mentally, but their body is incapable of actually following through on it, which is probably where we want to talk in terms of like personal development and how this kind of connects. Totally. Yeah. I'm, I was, I was saying to Will before we even started the podcast is that I have done a lot of personal development training none of which has been explicitly trauma-informed. So that's kind of what I wanted to ask you. Like, let's start from the from the beginning. So we know there's lots of tools out there, lots of personal development tools, books, podcasts, like tons of stuff to help us with our mental health. So how do we distinguish which methodologies are trauma-informed approaches to healing and mental health? 
um, versus regular approaches. So in other words, what does trauma-informed really mean? Yeah, this is so big. This is so big. So (laughs) when uh, I basically had this realization and we'll kind of, I'll get into your question, but I have to like preface this. So I had this realization at at a certain point that when you have trauma and almost everybody does to a certain degree, because you can inherit trauma, which is dysfunction in your nervous system from your grandparents, from your parents, it can be passed on inter intergenerationally. So when we have that, we don't respond the same way to methodologies like goal setting or like um, yoga or all of these things that we think are so awesome, which are awesome. And I like do them. Um, if they're not necessarily packaged in a trauma informed container, somebody who has especially trauma in the forefront of their life is not going to be getting the, the full benefit of that thing. They're going to potentially be triggered by it. They're potentially going to feel guilty or shame in their body, which is going to stop them from being able to really show up fully for the thing. And so when you're trauma informed, you're able to really, what you do essentially is you work with somebody's nervous system where they're at. There's all of these little um, approaches, these micro shifts you do to make sure that somebody is actually able to work with the technique. I'll give you an example. Let's say that I tell you to do a breathing technique. So I'm like, so just breathe in for five seconds, breathe out for five seconds. And I just tell you for somebody who let's say had a trauma, like I'll make something up where they had a bike accident or they were hit by a car. That's kind of a very physical, gross example. It doesn't always have to be like that. And then when they were lying there on the ground, the paramedic came and they were like, just breathe in and just breathe out. And then like, they have that traumatic memory associated with breathing. Right. And so you're just telling them to do something and there's no awareness around like what the body's memory might be. Mm. And so what you think could be helping somebody if you're not really um, investigating what's going on in their body and and being able to walk through step by step, then it actually could be harming them in in a sense that it could be re-triggering old memories and reinstantiating that cycle of pain and fear and whatever it might be. So that's kind of an intense example, but um, in very subtle ways that can happen too. So I'll, I'll talk about what my friend and I were talking about last night, which is she was talking about how she went to a therapist for a long period of time. And she would talk to the therapist and she would basically just go over, over different stories again and again and again. And she said she went for years, but she said she felt This is what she literally told me. She would go to the therapist office and she would already feel kind of guilty. And she would be, she felt like I have to like think of something that I can talk about. And it would be coming from this place of guilt. Like if I don't have anything to talk about, then like, you know, like I'm wasting this time. And so she basically told me I I was having a trauma response every time I was going into therapy, like, because I felt the same shame of like having to show up a certain way every single time I went to therapy. So it didn't, it wasn't necessarily helping. Right. It was like just re-encoding that pattern. And so we talked about that in contrast to somebody who's more trauma informed in their approach, who is able to sort of, it's not just like in therapy, just, Hey, just talk about your problems. It's more like, Hey, let's look at the underlying emotional currents a little bit and work with building resources and tools to actually move through that. 
And then finally, we talked about becoming trauma skilled, which is like when somebody's very attuned to you specifically, and they can feel to a certain degree when you're going into these micro trauma responses, when um, the nervous system's getting agitated or shutting down, and they're able to sort of walk with you step by step to basically heal. So I'll explain one last piece and then I'll answer any questions that you have. Totally. So for it. Yeah. So yoga, um, breathing exercises, um, affirmations, um, art therapy, dance therapy, so many different things that we do and they're awesome. I think that they're a great adjunct, but if you're not really um, bringing in aspects of understanding how the nervous system works, then what can happen is they can only go so far in certain circumstances with certain people. What people who have trauma in their nervous system need is tools to emotionally regulate themselves. So that's going to be different from person to person. One person, I, I mentioned like the breathing thing, it would just trigger them. They can't do it. Another person, like they can, they can do the breathing thing, but they can't do dance because they had like a weird kind of thing where they can't like move their body in certain ways without feeling triggered or something. So everybody's going to have different tools to emotionally regulate. You need the emotional regulation piece. And then uh, the other piece is co-regulation, which means regulating with other people, which means uh, having um, secure attachments with people rather than anxious or avoidant or fearful or disorganized attachments, meaning how you relate to other people. Are you like anxiously texting and wanting their attention? Or are you avoiding your friends and then coming back later and pretending that you didn't do that? All, all of those things, when you have secure attachment, kind of fall away. And that helps set a foundation for healing of trauma. And then the last piece, and this is the piece I try and focus on in the six-week thing that I do, is having disconfirming experiences, having experiences that are beneficial to the body, the brain, the nervous system, which go counter to the narrative of what you internalize as a trauma, which could be, I'm not good enough. Or when I speak out, I get yelled at. Maybe that happened as a child or something. So when you put those three things together and you're more, you're, you work on like bringing that attunement to, to people, when you use some of these approaches that are um, understanding a little of the nervous system, then it becomes way easier to help somebody through something. And you're not kind of just taking shots in the dark being like, Hey, try this thing, try this thing. Um, or like, Hey, why can't you follow through on your goals? Like, and there's like a confusion under why this, it really explains a lot of why, and then it works with how to get through that on a nervous system level. That makes sense. Totally. So it's like, it's not, it can't be a one size fits approach for everyone. And it sounds like any trauma informed um, training or coaching or help needs to be, um, you know, it, it needs to be, you, you need to do it one on one, right? Because not everyone is going to have like the, ex, the same experience and same triggers and, and, and all of that. So, yeah, one thing I wanted to ask is, how do we know if a trauma-informed approach to empowering ourselves is what's needed versus regular methodologies? So basically, you have to get real with yourself about trauma. <laughs> That's it. Like, uh, 
And this is the hardest part. And this is the part I personally avoided for a long period of time, which was that um, even when I was hearing about trauma, I was hearing about it all the time. I was like, but that doesn't relate to me. <laughs> so like, I just very much had that, like, because you know what? Things were working for me pretty well, most things. But I didn't realize that the times that they weren't working was because of traumas that I had experienced. Hmm. And, and I wasn't able to put those two together. So I think what helps people realize that they could benefit from a trauma-informed approach is studying trauma and understanding how prevalent it is. When you understand that World War II was less than 100 years ago, when you understand that the nervous system of our caregivers is what we inherit, when you understand that if you were yelled at, if you were left alone at a mall, if you like failed in a test when you were young and you had a response of like feeling lack of safety or like your parents were judging you, all of these things imprint into the nervous system in very subtle ways. And you might be like, why do I get so anxious at performance reviews for my job? And you're like, ah, oh, it's just, that's just life. But it's not. Some people don't get anxious for performance reviews. Some people don't walk out and feel anxious when they go outside. Some people don't uh, get anxious when they meet new people. They don't. And it's not just life. It's trauma. It's a mm -hmm. feeling of lack of safety. It's a feeling of danger. It's a feeling of life threat that's been imprinted into your nervous system that doesn't necessarily have to be like that. And then once you understand that that can be healed, and that those imprintations where you feel a rush of being shut down or feeling anxious are just things that you have inherited or ha have imprinted onto you from things that you've experienced. Then you're getting real with yourself and you're like, okay. So the first step is like, I'm actually aware that this is what, where I'm at. And now I can actually work on healing it. Wow. So, okay. So let's say we get real with ourselves. Like, okay, I recognize I have trauma for, for whatever reason, this anxiety or these, um, these stress symptoms come up and I recognize I have trauma around this area. So then what is, what is the first step to regulating? Well, let's just talk really quickly about what trauma is just to like really give a magnifying glass to like being able to pinpoint that. Mm -hmm. So it's like, when you're having a disproportionate response in your body, in your mind, in your nervous system to what's in reality. Mm. So let's say that I'm like, hey, could you come over here and help me in the kitchen? And then you're like, I am just so frustrated with you telling me what to do all the time or like something like that. And you're like, whoa, that's the disproportionate response to reality. Right. But the thing that happens is when we have these disproportionate responses, most people uh, assume like a few things. And, and I do this too. I'm not, I'm not an example of this. Like what, if this is probably what happens to most people. They assume that they're correct and that their response is a 100% justified. And so what I tell people is that your response, your emotion is valid, but it's not necessarily what has to be true for you. And that comes down to like, do you want to heal that? Do you want to like not have those type of outbursts or that type of shutting down, depending on what's going on. So it's a disproportionate response in the body and the mind and the nervous system to something that's going on. And to be honest, we all experience that all the time. Like yeah. Even in very small ways. Um, yeah. 
like there's there's traffic or there's something and you just have a response. So what can that disproportionate response look like? I outlined two main things. You have um, sympathetic overload and you have dorsal vagal shutdown. Sympathetic overload is when you experience stress, anxiety, you feel hostile, feel like you have to like fight or defend yourself. Usually if there's a feeling of drama and you feel like you have to like evade people or like go around things, it's literally fight or flight. Right. And then shutdown is the nervous system's freeze response. Dorsal vagal shutdown is like when we suppress ourselves, when we collapse, when we don't like somebody's like, Hey, do you have anything to say? And you're like, Nope, I'm not going to say anything because I don't feel like it's safe for me to say what's on my mind. It could happen at a work meeting. You feel like whenever I express my creative ideas, they get shut down and I get judged. So I'm going to just freeze that response. That's trauma. <laughs> That's like, because somebody who doesn't have that freeze response would just be like, yeah, you know what? Like I had this idea come to mind while you guys were talking. I thought I would just share that. Um, and then they don't have any freeze. There's nothing suppressing their expression. So, um, the freeze response, the dorsal vagal shutdown can include uh, freezing, which means basically what I said, like you literally stop the flow of energy and information and expression. There's something called fawning, which is kind of just, it's like freezing, but going along with what everyone else is doing. So it's like, I was like, um, do you want to come? And you're like, I guess. And you just go, yeah. mm. but no, you actually don't want to come. You don't want to go to whatever the thing is. And then there is collapse, which is when all the energy drains out of the system and the person basically kind of like goes into a like giving up mode. It's like, I don't even know what to do or what to think. And then the body muscle tension like collapses. Um, and that's like freezing without muscle tension. But then there's all, there's the freezing too that can have the muscle tension. So imagine if I like, pull out a gun or something or somebody pulls out a gun and they're like, they, they like point in your direction. You're like, <gasps> you tighten all your muscles and you stop moving. Right. If you make any sudden movements, it's not safe. So all those, and then that gets locked into the body and the nervous system. So that freeze with muscle tension. does. So any of these things can manifest in really big ways, like capital T trauma, which means there was a really strong, usually overt event. Or there can be lowercase t trauma, which is usually accumulated over many experiences, which is like maybe you lived with somebody who was always criticizing you when you did one thing. And it was never like a giant argument, but it was just like little things hitting you over and over again that kind of imprinted into your nervous system. So that would be how you could probably start to identify it. And I hope that makes it more clear. Um, oh, and then you, what you said was the first step. Um, the first step is always awareness, which is just meaning like you're aware that you're having that type of response. And then from that, what I recommend people do is, um, understand what triggers that feeling or sensation. So let's use me for an example. I have a, a trauma around feeling misunderstood. Cause I felt like when I was young that people didn't understand me. Mm -hmm. So I would feel that, um, you know, I had certain thoughts and ideas and I'm like, I'm so passionate about this. 
And then um, my parents or other people, they just wouldn't necessarily click with what I was saying. They're like, oh, that's good for you, bud. And just kind of like, yeah, great for him. But they like didn't really connect with what I was sharing or talking about. And so then that would leave me like, I feel misunderstood. I, I feel like I'm not recognized for who I am and what I'm interested in. And so then <clears throat> sometimes even when people do understand me, I have this response where I still feel misunderstood. I'm like, oh, they don't get it. They don't get They don't understand like why um, this is so important to me or they don't understand like my motivations. And that's uh, a response that I have that like kind of makes me shut down a little bit in a very right. small way. But so I have, I have to kind of be aware of that first before I can really do much about it. Um, the, the other piece I mentioned to you a little bit already is having disconfirming experiences, which is like, what would I have to experience in my body, my brain, my nervous system to prove to me that that is not true, that I am understood. And so I've identified that. I've wrote that down. I would recommend people do this. Write down, I would need to feel seen. I would need to be like maybe in a group of people or like with somebody one-on-one -on -one and they're just looking at me and they're understanding my motivations. And they're like, no, I totally get you. And we're like emotionally connected. And I'm like, ah, okay, so that's not true. That feeling of misunderstood is not true. And so- got to seek out those experiences um, to disconfirm that belief that you are aware that you have kind of running in the background. Yeah, you're you're a hundred percent with it. That's right. So then because the nervous system, I always say this, the nervous system works from proof, not promises. So if you're just doing affirmations, like that's just your it's like somebody being like, I promise you're gonna feel better. It's like the nervous system's like, I don't care about the promises. I need proof that I'm actually safe or a proof that it's actually okay to open up or proof that I'm, I'm worthy. How do you find proof? Proof is in experiences. The nervous system is shaped from experiences. So we have to have experiences that reshape our beliefs. You can't just go to yoga and think it'll just fix itself. Um, like yoga will help because it'll give you emotional regulation, which is one of the things you need. If you have a good um, social circle at your yoga studio, that will help you with having secure healthy co-regulating attachments. But if you don't have the disconfirming experiences, then the nervous system is never quite ready to have that proof to change. Like it would need to, to actually go through the process to be like, this is no longer relevant. I am understood or I am worthy. Or when I open up, I'm heard and it's, and it's totally worth it. It's worth me being vulnerable or et cetera, whatever. Totally. Right. And then that new experience becomes part of your kind of concept of self. And then you can kind of move on from that, that past-based understanding of, of what's so, right? Okay. This is fascinating <laughs> because it, it really is such a big topic um, for so many reasons, right? Especially right now with, I mean, it's, it's always been the case, but we're really coming to terms with that these massive historical events actually weren't that long ago, right? Like you talked about World War II wasn't that long ago. You know, the last residential school was closed in 1996. It's, it's all living trauma. So in terms of, I guess, like, how do you manage, like, let's say someone comes to you and they're like, okay, well, I'm recognizing I have 
a lot of trauma, um, you know, race-based trauma, or I've been discriminated against because of my race or my socioeconomic status or class or, you know, whatever the reason is. And then you may be like, how, how would you address that in, in terms of also being responsible about the fact that you are a white man and you don't know what that's like? And how, do, how does that, how do these like kind of um, outside factors play a role in terms of healing trauma or being able to help someone? Yeah, that's a pretty huge question. Um, <laughs> I, I would say that number one, I don't, I, I don't recommend that everybody seeks out the same practitioner. So if somebody doesn't feel like cues of safety from me, then I would recommend they go see somebody else. Like, so, but I think one of the big pieces is that like, as somebody who is trying to become more trauma aware, trauma sensitive, you basically have a sensitivity to people's hurt. Mm. I think that's what a lot of us are looking for. Like you don't have to necessarily, um, you know, know all the history of every single injustice, but if you have compassion, if you're willing to like, I guess, empathize and like connect and feel and go there with somebody and not keep a barrier of like, Oh, that's them. Like as an other so much, then that person will feel safe and you can do work together. But at the same time too, like you're saying, like if somebody went through a trauma and like part of their trauma was being yelled at by racist white people, then maybe going to a white guy is not going to be the best thing to do. So you right. might want to find out a, a person who you feel personally safe around. Your nervous system is responding well to. And then when you, you find that, just you stick with what works for you. Um, and then there'll be other people who, and this is a beautiful thing, um, somebody like me can actually be a disconfirming experience for them. Because it can be somebody who is kind of like, fits the 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 archetype or fits a little bit of the mold of where they receive their trauma but it's actually now coming in and being a healing or holding space presence and so then it like disconfirms that like all people like this are going to like basically attack me or belittle me or do something that's going to be bad for me and then that can be really helpful too so it i just recommend everybody looks for a practitioner that they feel safe around because this is so big and popular now, you can pretty much find everybody, I think, of most kind of ethnic backgrounds kind of like can find one person like doing this. So whoever you resonate with, whoever you feel most safe and comfortable with, do that work with that person and um, make sure that they're sensitive to what you went through. But at the same time, make sure that they really want to help you through it, not just hear the story over and over again. Because that's just what we call re-traumatization. You're, you're, every time you say the story and the nervous system runs through the cycle of activation, it just imprints deeper into the nervous system. So we want to complete the cycle of activation, move through, and then where hopefully the story becomes less relevant. But that can take time. And that can be really challenging if it's massive trauma that's gone on on a widespread scale and you still don't feel safe in your neighborhood or something like that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I hear, I hear a lot of people kind of say that not to invalidate any methodology that people find helpful, but 
you know, a lot of people say is like with their traditional form of therapy is that they found that they just kept talking about the story again and again and again. And it, it was like reliving the past instead of getting beyond the past. Um, so, so I find that really fascinating in terms of that play of dealing with the past and then getting beyond it. So the other thing I wanted to ask is the thing that we, like we're talking a lot about trauma and it's kind of a buzzword now at this point. So do you think people kind of overuse it and is it possible to kind of use it as a trump card to not be responsible for your behavior and actions? And if so, how do we identify when we're using it as a trump card versus just sharing with people, honestly, like I deal with this trauma and this is kind of what I'm able to give in this moment. (laughs) That's actually a really good question. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of gone against that in this, in this talk, but normally what I do is I try, I don't use the word trauma that much. But this mm-hmm. talk has been the complete opposite. I've used it like yeah. probably hundred times. <laughs> um, normally what I do is I say overwhelming experiences. Mm. So I say, like, basically, if you've had overwhelming experiences, like, I can help you to heal that. Or there's lots of tools that are available. And the truth is everyone's had overwhelming experiences. Um, so, yes, it becomes a buzzword. But I, I think sometimes it's like, using other words can be helpful so that you can like kind of hit it from different angles. Um, and then what you mentioned was like, okay, is it a get out of jail free card? Because you can just be like, like, you don't understand. That's my trauma. Like I can't work with this type of person or I can't show up in this way because like, this is what happened to me. My very last Instagram post was basically you don't have to let your trauma be in the driver's seat. You have the control to shift your attention to greater things. Like that story doesn't have to run your life. So the important piece around that is that your trauma is valid, but it's not necessarily what's true for you. So that experience is valid. Those emotions are valid. Everything you went through was a real experience and it did hurt. And it's, okay that that happened and I don't want to take that away from you and tell you that like oh it was all in your head or blah 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 like it's completely valid that we went through things that were painful but do we want that to be what defines us do we want that to be what is true for us that is where we have to learn to work with trauma or overwhelming experiences skillfully and there's only so much we can we can do at certain points if you're really heavily in that overwhelming experience it's still affecting you then You might not be able to show up fully, but what I think happens is that we get comfortable in that limit. And then even when the bounds start to expand and it's like, you do feel safe enough to go outside of that zone now, but you're like, you got so used to it that you're like, uh, I don't know. uh, 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 Like it's not, I, you kind of hold yourself back from growth. Post-traumatic growth is usually in little bite-sized chunks from what I understand and from what I've seen. So you're going to like grow a little bit and you're like, do I feel safe to be around, you know, X, Y, Z situation? 
And the next time, do I feel safe to be around X, Y, Z and maybe A, B, C? And you like just play with moving a little bit further out and you try and keep that zone of safety to, to basically recondition the nervous system. So yeah, like, uh, I don't think it should be something to be a get out of jail free card for like how you feel kind of like, Oh, I was drunk. It's like, it's just trauma. Like, like it's completely yeah. fine. Like uh, I, I just have this trauma. Like I, that's why I was late. It's like, <laughs> <no>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I just have this, this trauma of like rushing. So like anytime I start to rush, <laughs> I just, I can't. Right. So it's yeah. like, yeah, but you still have to show up. <laughs> it's just like, Totally. But at the same time, too, a therapist who's working with people who are traumatized, they like shouldn't be surprised if their clients are like late and stuff like that, because that's literally how it affects certain people. But it right. doesn't mean that they can improve and start to, you know, be better. Totally. So it's it's kind of a weird paradox. It's like in the middle, in a way, like you're sensitive to that, like these things are so powerful, but also you don't want it to be like somebody's box forever where they're just Absolutely. trapped in it. Yeah. So like, let's say you have a friend who like, like, let's say I have a friend who I think, oh, like, it seems like they might have some trauma around this. Like I I'm sensing that maybe they shut down a little bit or they, you know, they have an overwhelming reaction to something. So I, I have a theory. Okay. Maybe they have some trauma. How, as a friend, can you support people around you um, in terms of like, should you ask them about it or should you just try and be sensitive, but you also want to have them be accountable for their actions? Like as a friend who, you know, just wants to, to support your friend, what's the best way to go about that? So now I think we're getting into the real juicy part and I love your question. Because um, there's all basically we like gave a preface for everything. And now I want to talk about like, what does actual like regulation look like? Mm, Because regulation of the nervous system is contagious. Mm. So if you're regulated, then your friend can become regulated much more easily while you're there with her or him. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk more about that. (laughs) And, um, dysregulation is also contagious. For instance, if you go to your friend and you're really anxiously concerned, you're actually part of the problem Hmm. because you're showing up dysregulated. Trust me, I've literally done it. So it's like, it's not you. It's like, (laughs) it's fucking everybody. Uh, So you show up and you're like, oh my God, like, are you okay? Are you okay? Like, I'm, I'm worried about you. I'm worried about you. And they're already going through some dysregulation inside themselves. You're just adding to it and multiplying it in that moment. And now you have two people who are dysregulated. Whereas like when you focus on learning how to be skillful with yourself, which is what I love about trauma healing is that it ultimately it's like your journey. Like you have to heal your own nervous system. You have to do it. Like no one else can do it for you. Um, Once you become more skillful with yourself, then your regulation becomes an invitation for, for people to be regulated too. And your dysregulation as well. So there's kind of like a responsibility piece for how you're showing up. But at the same time, you don't shame yourself if you're dysregulated because everybody gets dysregulated. That's just normal. So uh, what is actual regulation? Regulation, we talked about the sympathetic 
state, which is that like overload of stress, fight or flight. We talked about dorsal, which is the shut, the shutdown dorsal vagal state. It's shut down, it's collapse, it's freeze, it's dissociation. Regulation is called the ventral vagal state, according to polyvagal theory. Now, regardless of whatever nerves are involved, the basic state is this. You're um, curious. You're uh, emotionally open. Your emotions are expressing through your face. So there's the nerve is supposed to go from the heart through to the face, to the eyes, to the cheekbones, and allows the emotions to be expressed more clearly through the face. So if you ever notice you have a good heart to heart with somebody, or you're just chatting with a really good friend and you're like close and you're sipping tea and you're just feeling like really bubbly, you're feeling like your emotions are coming out through your face and you're like expressive. Mm. Um, that state is like the ventral vagal state. And in that state, almost all physiological processes are optimized in the body. I noticed when I was stressed, um, I would feel my, my core temperature. I'd be hot. I'd be running hot. But then if I'm in regulation, I, I'd feel my core temperature. I feel like just perfect, just perfect, like kind of nice and cool and fresh. I'm like this feels great. Like my body temperature is regulated. You notice that your digestion is optimized. Um, it's improved if you had digestive issues. And sometimes if you are able to process a whole trauma, you can literally release the, like or overcome an entire digestive issue. That's because certain aspects of the nervous system, like the dorsal state, um, the dorsal nerve of the vagus nerve, like affects everything below the diaphragm. So your digestive process, your feeling and sensation of your legs and your lower body, your sexual arousal capacity, all of these things are affected by trauma and by that aspect of the nervous system. Whereas if you're in ventral, like I mentioned, that like heart brain face connection, then you feel curious, emotionally expressive. And the key word is safe. You actually feel safe. You feel safe to be yourself. You feel safe to connect. You feel safe and open to be in that environment. And safety is a very subtle thing. Like when you feel safe versus when you feel kind of safe to be yourself versus when you feel fully safe to be yourself, there's a different experience in the body. So as you do your work and you learn to regulate your nervous system and you learn, maybe you have some support people, some people who you feel really safe around, then you come more into ventral. And then when you're in the ventral state, or you could just call it the green state, or I call it like flow state or um, like that kind of state where everything's nice and smooth and you feel state, uh, safe. Then when you show up with, for your friend, um, that is an invitation for them to come more into regulation. And it's also almost by default, an invitation to vulnerability. Because when you're regulated, you're expressing your emotions. And if somebody has been suppressing their emotions, and they're seeing cues of safety, meaning that other people are expressing their emotions, maybe I can too. And so then it becomes an open playing field rather than like, if you confront them, sometimes it feels like I have something to hide, like I don't feel safe, which is most of what most of us do. If somebody's like, how, how are you? Uh, how you feeling over there? <laughs> like I don't want to say anything to you. Like why do you want to know? Leave me alone. <laughs> it's so true. And and also like I think I know that when I'm when I'm feeling stressed or whatever and someone notices, then I feel like 
oh, like, damn it, they've noticed. And now I feel self-conscious about the fact that they've noticed. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it, it becomes that whole, whole thing of like, well, I would rather them just like joke around with me than like be like, hey, how can I help you with your stress? You know, so um, I think that that speaks to what you're talking about, about just like coming at people from a place of like secure energy and naturally that will that will bounce off towards them. And, and how would you feel if somebody came to you and they were like, Chelsea, like I've been so stressed lately. And like, let's say you're stressed, like while they're telling you this and they're like, yeah. I've been so stressed lately. Like I've been going through, like I literally was like running around like a chicken with my head cut off this morning and like doing this and this. Would you feel much more safe to be like, okay, me too. To be honest, I was really stressed this morning too. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's how it's like <laughs> kind of um, inv- inviting for people mm-hmm. to be emotionally vulnerable. Even if they didn't go through the exact same thing or stress, it's like vulnerability invites more vulnerability and that can bring people out of so much of the overwhelm of, totally. of these things is just a, a social connection, a place where it's safe to express it. And then it kind of depolarizes it in a sense, not as strong for somebody. Yeah. Yeah. It's so awesome. It's, yeah, it's fantastic. So I'm going to be responsible about the fact that this is all new learning for me. So I'm just going to ask you, is there anything that you think that we need to say about trauma right now and, and what would be helpful for our listeners? I would say this, if, if you feel like this is really relevant for you, then um, seeking the help of a professional can be very, very useful. Now, in most cases, that's going to be because you have a capital T sort of trauma situation. You have something that you went through that's going to like be affecting you quite strongly daily, every day. Um, on the other hand, in most circumstances, it's going to be completely fine for you to learn about trauma, to educate yourself about trauma. And that will probably only strengthen your ability to regulate yourself. Um, I don't know who listens to this. It could literally be anybody, right? So I would say that um, wherever you feel safe, if that's with a person or certain family members, um, that's going to be something you want to seek out to bring your nervous system more into regulation, especially if you went through something that's overwhelming. So safety is going to be a really key piece for everybody so that you can enter back into a little bit of ventral, what we were just talking about. And uh, ultimately, like, I think that this is important too. Like I said, all of this stuff. Yeah, this is important. I said all of this stuff, but this is just my understanding of it. Like Mm. um, uh, I am ultimately not an expert. I'm a very interested, passionate student of this. And this is so cutting edge. Like there could be things that I'm saying that turn out to be, that wasn't as true as what we thought. Um, But I just kind of took it on as like a, a kind of like, kind of just like a quote of the trauma informed approach. It's like, Oh, just blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. So uh, ultimately like whatever actually helps your nervous system feel safe and calm and regulated, that's going to be what you want to seek out. Even if it's not anything to do with what I'm sharing about or with what someone else is sharing about. So basically wanting to put people in the driver's seat of like 
okay, just because somebody said all this stuff doesn't mean you have to take it um, hook, line, and sinker as like, you know, this is the new thing that you got to do. So ultimately, do what feels good. <laughs> do what feels good. Do what feels right for you. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, like let's go full circle for a moment in that. Yeah. Um, so we kind of started being like, okay, so what is trauma? Why is the trauma-informed approach important? I think intuitively anything that you have done um, that's helped you has helped you because it's helped navigate or heal or regulate after trauma. Hmm. So even if it's not trauma informed, if it helps you, then it helps you. And so uh, like, you can't take that away from anybody's experience. So I look at some of the coaching I did years ago and I, and I, I look at it now and I'm like, Oh, the reason that worked is because I was, you know, creating a state of regulation and like, um, and, uh, asking questions that were helping people interocept into their sensations and process little bits of the emotion. And like, I, I just see it as like through a trauma informed lens. And I'm like, Oh, so the reason it worked was because I was intuitively being trauma informed, but I didn't know what I was doing. And I think that that's the case with a lot of things. So like probably a lot of things you've already done, Chelsea, it's like they they are helping with trauma. They, uh, and they have been the entire time. You just didn't have a lens for understanding what that meant and why that was mm. so important. And then you, you just study trauma and then you're like, oh, so that's why when I went to that retreat, why I felt like isolated because we weren't talking to people and it was really hard for me to process my emotions. And you're like, so that's why it didn't work. It, I wasn't being in like skillful with my trauma or with my dysregulation. And you just see it through that lens or that's why that did work when I go, went to that retreat, because I had that safe social connection of secure attachments of all the people there. And that helped me to feel okay to go into my emotions. And, and you're like, that's why that worked. So basically what I'm saying is that like, I think we all know intuitively to a certain degree, like what helps and what doesn't, but studying this can just help you get more fine tuned with it or working with somebody who approaches it in this way can just help you get more skillful. Totally. That's awesome. And is there a point in which we're able to say, I am healed from this trauma? Like I, this is no longer trauma for me. Like it's, it's disappeared. It's in the past. And is that, what does that look like? Does that look like being in the, what, what did you say? The ventral state, the, yeah. the optimal ventral state all the time. And you don't have reactions anymore. Like, let, let me give you an example. Um, so uh, I dealt with a lot of shame and I still do from time to time, but definitely not as much as I used to. I used to literally, um, when I was trying to reown that part of myself, I would say I'm the king of shame. <laughs> it's like, uh, if, if, if I'm outside, I feel embarrassed to just exist. I'm like, don't look at me, like, leave me alone. I'm just, just playing small here. And uh, I went to a a singing circle and I was feeling a lot of that shame. And what I did is I said out loud to everybody that I'm singing to the part of me that has this shame. And I just like really owned it. And so what shame, what my shame was afraid of is that if I reveal my shame, 
it will only get denser and people will judge me for it. Cause it was almost like a really strong self-judgment embarrassment to be who I am. And I feel like, um, if I acknowledge it, then other people are like, Oh, he has lots of shame. That's like, that's dark. That's heavy. Like, I don't even want to talk to that guy. And what I did, which was so amazing, so intuitive is I'm like, I have all the shame. I'm singing to this part of me that has the shame, basically integrating that part. It's not always going to be this easy. This was like a kind of a miracle moment. And then, um, Afterwards, people were like, oh my God, like I related so much to what you shared. And I got all of this positive attention, all of these hugs, all of these people being like, yo, thank you for opening up in front of everybody. I felt like there was, we were missing that vulnerability and you really brought it. And what it was for me was a huge disconfirming experience of like, shame doesn't equal isolation, self-judgment, embarrassment. Shame can equal vulnerability, connection um, authenticity, feeling like I can be all the parts of myself and that like, that's okay, that that's there. And then it loses its power. So when you, when I had that experience, it like lost this power that it had over me before where I would be constantly trying to hide my shame. And I, one of the words I use to describe shame, instead of calling it shame is I call it hiding. So if I notice that I'm hiding, I don't want to go out in the world. I feel like I'm hiding from other people. That's like shame for me. If I feel like I'm hiding from my partner, like, or something like that, I'm like, just like, like I've kind of reclused into myself. I'm like hiding away. That for me is like a, a shame or like, I'm embarrassed. Like there's something I'm going through and I don't want to share it. So for me, bringing it to light and having that disconfirming experience, it, in a sense, like you said, it's like, um, it's like I was healed. But also what it was, was that it was okay as it was all along. So it's like the fact that I had shame was fine. And then it didn't have power. It wasn't controlling and dictating like how I was living, hmm. which like, if I listened to the shame story, I probably would have just not told everybody that I would have kept quiet. And I maybe would have had a surface story that I told people like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, I'm just singing. It's nice to connect with you guys. I'm really grateful. Like, which is so, so just surface. Because those things are true, but there was a deeper layer. So then I would have went home and I would have still had that like feeling and I wouldn't have really, you know, been with that. So, uh, I think I want to say yes, on one level, you can heal trauma, but I would say, um, part of the journey is having Noticing that your reactions or that your overwhelming experiences are reduced, they become fewer and fewer, they become smaller and smaller, they become more far and far apart, and you feel um, better with the things that would usually trigger you. And if you're on that trajectory, you're doing good. So right. just, yeah, think of it more as a journey of like improvement. But if you get to a place where you're like, I'm healed, I mean, I, I don't want to say that that's not valid. Like, that's awesome. Right. It's like all about, yeah. Yeah. Ahead, if you, sorry. if you feel like you have shame around public speaking and then you finally, after like working through lots of stuff and improving and doing hundreds of speeches and you do this speech and it was entirely 100% flow and you come down and you're in the zone, you feel amazing. Then you're healed, right? You healed that part of you that was terrified of being seen in front of people. And I'm, I'm saying like, if that's possible, then that's frigging possible. Mm -hmm. Why is that not possible? Mm. Totally. Um, yeah. People talk about that all the time, specifically with, with public speaking is like, 
having such fear around it. And then all of a sudden they're like, that's like what they do for a living and how they're like, <laughs> that's like their expression of themselves on the planet. Right. Uh, yeah. So lots to think about. Um, you know, we've already passed the hour cause it's always so interesting talking to you. Did you want to just say a little bit more about your trauma informed program and how people can access you and get in touch and work with you? Yeah, I'll just speak about that really quickly for anybody who's been really resonating or got some value from what I've been sharing. You know, you can find me at Instagram at, at will.derood. So at W-I-L-L dot D-E-R-O-O-D-E. Um, that's where I share a lot of information and content and just cool supportive stuff. And uh, the six-week nervous system reset is just a compilation of stuff that I found really interesting to study really interesting to apply and really useful in terms of the results that it's helped me with and helped a couple other people with already. So if you're interested in stuff like that, which basically applies and uses a lot of this information around the nervous system, then reach out to me. And I want to make sure that everybody who I talk to, if they send me a DM saying, tell me more about the nervous system reset, that I talk with them first and make sure that it's a good fit. Because I don't mm -hmm. like to just work with people if they don't really feel congruent to my approach or like feel safe in, in the container that I've created. So yeah, if you feel resonant, then you can just reach out and we can chat and see if it's a good fit. And, uh, sometimes it is most of the time it is, but sometimes it's like, I actually have, I have a handful of other trauma informed coaches and practitioners that I can send people to. Some of them are female. Some of them are, they have really similar approach to me, but they're just, uh, like a, a woman with a slightly different energy. Hmm. And it's like, maybe you'll respond better to her. And that's totally fine. Right. Or maybe you need a male, uh, like, or a certain type of coach or practitioner because your trauma came from men and you want to be able to heal that. And if you finally find somebody who you feel okay to connect with who's a man, then you're like, maybe this could also serve as a disconfirming experience at the same time. Totally. Yeah. So you have to figure out what feels good for you. Right. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. So last but not least, I know I asked you this before when you were on the podcast last time, but what are three ways you have been letting beauty guide you in life these days? Oh my God. I don't even remember what I said last time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it changes depending on the moment, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, seeking more healthy social connections. That's to me is huge. Um, getting, getting a lot of sun and seeing sunsets. <laughs> you look very sun kissed and like, don't healthy. I? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I could see that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, meeting new people. This relates to the first one meeting new people and, um, kind of leaning into that ventral state of my, for myself to feel safe to connect. So I might not feel it right away, but if I lean into that, I notice that um, I'm open to connect more deeply, more quickly. And that mm -hmm. feels so amazing. Like to me, one of the most beautiful things is social connection. So mm -hmm. like, yeah, healthy relationships, but also meeting the new people. Like I, I love meeting new people, especially because I've felt um, like that shame I was telling you about or social anxiety. So if I like let that run me all the time or like take the driver's seat, 
then I'm not connecting socially with people on a deep level. I'm like hiding from that. So mm-hmm. I try and lean into that in a safe and comfortable way so that I'm open to connect more. And it's pretty liberating. Like when you are able to meet new people, you're able to vibe and connect quickly. You're like, I don't know. I just feel like I'm on like a cloud nine. Like I can just like, it's something I wished I always knew as possible. Like, Hey, like you don't have to like be reserved or be this, like you can connect and people are out there and there's so many amazing experiences to be had. So I try and lean into that. And I think that that's beautiful. A oh, thousand percent. Yeah. I, it's funny like that to that last point is like, I feel like that's why a lot of people love traveling is because it kind of opens you up to those experiences of like, well, you need to talk to people you wouldn't normally talk to before. Um, but it's, but it's available to us anywhere in life. Right. So amazing. Thank you so much, Will. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing what you know and, and just being who you are and, giving people the opportunity to work with you and and heal their trauma and really get to the core of it. So thank you so much for being here and, and sharing yourself. Thank you. Appreciate you, Chelsea. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Let Beauty Guide You. My name is Chelsea Keene and you were just listening to Will Darude. And if his words resonated with you about trauma, you can find him on Instagram at will.derude, D-E-R-O-O-D-E. And you can ask him about his six-week nervous system reset. Okay, hope everyone has a great day and we'll catch you next time.